0: Apple's brand new M1 Pro, M1 Max, and MacBook Pro. You had questions, you wanted answers, you wanted the truth. Well, I'm Rene Ritchie. Thanks to Maiden for sponsoring. Hit that subscribe button. It's free and you'll get all of my videos first so I can give you just all the truth that you can handle. Let's do this. As always, supporters over at patreon.com slash Renee get Q&A priority. So William Edstrom, is it possible that Apple could enable Face ID on these laptops Or is necessary hardware not included? And yeah, the necessary hardware is not included. Face ID is more than just the RGB camera, which is what's on these new MacBook Pros. It's the infrared flood illuminator and dot projector that lets it actually scan the geometry of your face. And I think the reason that we don't have Face ID on the MacBooks on any Mac yet is that it's a fundamentally different concept that Apple still has to figure out. Just authenticate someone to look at their facial geometry and say, yes, it's you, unlock. That's fine, that's transparent. You sit down in front of it, you open it, and that just works. But to authorize purchases, it becomes uh, trickier because you don't want to just authorize a purchase anytime you're looking at the device. Uh, Therein, a lot of fraud takes place and Apple has to be very careful to avoid that. So on the iPhone and the iPad Pro that have Face ID, you have to double click the button to add a direct user interaction to show intent when you want to make those purchases, when you want to authorize those purchases. And that is unclear on a MacBook. For example, do you reach over and double click the power button? Because in that case, that's where the Touch ID sensor already is. So you're basically being forced to do a Touch ID style action. It doesn't even, it doesn't really save you anything. It doesn't increase, the utility at all. And I think that's why Apple is sticking with Touch ID. Robert Ritters, uh curious if there is any insight available regarding thermal throttling on the 14-inch versions. The 16-inch MacBook Pro is just bigger than the 14-inch MacBook Pro. So theoretically, it has a, well, theoretically, practically, it has a bigger thermal envelope. I think with the M1 Pro, you'll never see a difference. Uh, you know, quote, unquote, never. If you're in Arizona in 110 degree... Temperature, maybe you know that's going to change things. But with the M1 Max, when you're up to 32 GPU cores uh, and you're hitting other parts of the silicon IP, I think for sustained loads there, you'll you will uh, potentially fill up the envelope of the 14-inch and have that extra capacity at the 16-inch again because physics. But I don't think most people in most workloads will ever come close. Uh, you'd have to do that like in testing or if you're ultra high end. Uh, 3D artist just laying on every effect imaginable. Jeffrey David Maricini, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right, curious if this is 2X Retina or not. And it is, it'll have a default to 2X Retina and you should be able to pick lower resolutions for increased legibility and higher resolutions for increased information density, just like you can on current MacBook Pros. It's just the default will be a pure, finally a pure uh, 2x retina pk do we know how scalable a silicon architecture is how big can the soc go with gpu and compute cores for desktop models and i think we've seen uh rumors from mark german on this where they're gonna get hella big like for mac pro they could be up to 40 core cpus and 128 gpus so it's just like full-on scaling There doesn't look to be a limit within a reasonable range for the kind of products Apple wants to make up to and including a Mac Pro, it seems to be able to scale just fine. Craig Doran, why the reduction in efficiency cores by half? Can they still be referred to as Ice Storm? And are the remaining two E cores changed to be more powerful or efficient? And yeah, I think it's a difference in focus between the M1 and the M1 Pro and the M1 Max, and they are still Ice Storm cores. M1 Pro and M1 Max are the same silicon generation as M1, which is A14 generation silicon. And that means ice storm efficiency cores, firestorm performance cores. There's just a different arrangement. So instead of four and four, we now have two and eight. Because while the battery life is really good on these computers, that's not the focus. That was the focus on the MacBook Air and the two-port MacBook Pro Pro this the focus is on performance. So they're really gearing, giving you as much giving us as much performance as we possibly can. And that means eight double the amount of performance cores. And there are some things like low power mode, which is going to help make up for some of the battery, you know, if you really need to push it. Uh, But when you start cranking up the workload, and you start firing all those cores, especially all those graphics cores, it's it's going to be all about performance, not all about battery life anymore. And that's the that's the substantive change here. Arthur Kawa, how loud is 16-inch when the fans kick in? Do we have a comparison with the latest Intel models? And there haven't been any reviews released yet, so we don't really know. My guess is that they are gonna be really quiet. I mean, with the M1 MacBook Pro, the two-port MacBook Pro, a lot of people didn't even realize there was a fan in it because it was so hard to get that fan to kick in. And I think in normal modes, it'll still be hard to get the fan kicked to kick in and it'll be hard to hear the fan when it does. There is a high power mode in these new MacBook Pros that you can enable manually that will ramp up the fan. It'll force the fan to ramp up. That's something that people have been asking for, for a while. It's like, Apple, stop throttling things so aggressively. Just give me the ability to increase the fan. I don't care about the noise. I care about the performance. Give me that option. Just let me do it. And they are, they're putting you and us in command of our own destiny there. Steven Kaplan, I would love to see some information on how much time you save in your workflow from these new laptop models. One of the biggest advantages to me of M1 over Intel with the MacBook Air and the two port MacBook Pro was that it was just so instant. Everything was instant, like iPad level instant. And you forget, like you think about things like render time and it renders five minutes faster and is five minutes really worth it? Well, if you're rendering a bunch of videos, yeah, five minutes adds up quickly, but I'm basically living a life without beach balls on M1. And when you count up all the beach balls, all the little delays, all the seconds that add up on top of each other every minute out of every hour, out of every day, That is not just a phenomenal increase in quality of life, but it gives you back a significant part of your life. Next up, YouTube. And if you didn't manage to get your question in, make sure you hit the bell on the subscribe button because I typically hang out in the comments for like the first hour or so after any video goes live so I can answer anything extra that you wanna throw at me throw everything at me. Philip Dunphy, some context on which workflows would match well with each tier of chips because I don't wanna overpay for power that I don't need. If you need higher end gear, you typically know it because you're hitting up against some sort of constraint, some sort of roadblock in your current workflow. So for most people, I imagine the M1 Pro will be plenty. But if you're working on something that needs literally double the GPU cores, any of those high end apps, that just benefit, that that are GPU bound, that the more cores you throw at them, the better, faster, and more they can do, that's when that makes sense. So if you've never had a problem in that area, you certainly won't have a problem in that area now. But if you've always been like more, like in rock style, we've got to give the people more. Likewise, uh, if you do a lot of ProRes editing or you do a lot of video editing in general, you're getting twice the media and code decode blocks. the encode block on the standard H.264, H.265, but encode and decode on ProRes. So if you're doing workloads that are bound on video compression, then you're gonna see a doubling of that capacity on the Max, and you're probably gonna wanna consider the Max as well. Ultimate Poké Gamer 7, based on these chips, what are your predictions for M2? So yeah, if we go back to, M1 being based on A14 generation silicon, I'd expect M2 to be based on A15 generation silicon or the chipset that Apple just shipped with the iPhone 13. And that means instead of Ice Storm efficiency cores and Firestorm performance cores, we'd get the Avalanche efficiency cores and the Blizzard performance cores. And instead of the G13, you know, GPUs, we get the G14 GPUs. And in the performance cores, it's not a huge difference. They tickle the frequencies a little bit higher. But in the efficiency cores, they were you know, close to 30% better performance in the efficiency cores and also double the cache and just way better GPU performance, although throttled in the iPhone because it's such a small thermal envelope, but probably not throttled anywhere nearly as much in something the size of a, of a MacBook or a MacBook Pro. So just better again over the M1 in ways that it continued to push the envelope, but not just in performance overall, but in efficiency because it is just, a way, way cooler chip overall. Omar Horowitz, uh, does it have HDMI 2.0 or 2.1? So it has HDMI 2.0 like the M1 Mac mini, not HDMI 2.1 like the current generation, I think it's A12 uh, Apple TV. And I think that's just because Apple's not delivering anything yet that requires HDMI 2.1. Like, don't get me wrong, I would take it. I love it. I want all the ports at all the capabilities, even if they're not being used for anything just because I'm a nerd and nerds can dream. But the main difference is for HDMI 2.1 is that it can handle up to 8K, up to 120 Hertz. It can handle variable HDR. And I don't think Apple is outputting that from the Mac, you know, to begin with now and or these models ever. So HDMI 2.0 probably fit their overall bill of materials and capabilities they wanted to deliver. And they just saw no need for HDMI 2.1 yet. That'll be in a future Mac that is designed for an 8K, 120 Hertz world. Chidori Razingans, why didn't they go for an even bezel like the iPad instead of the notch? I mean, I can't unsee it. I just, I wish it wasn't there. It's like a needle in my eye all the time, but honestly 99% of the time, I don't even notice it anymore. And the difference between the iPad, you know, even the iPhone and the Mac, is that with the iPad, you have to be able to hold it and you have to be able to hold it in your hands at every orientation, landscape and portrait. And that means you need a bezel in every orientation. And if you have that bezel, you don't need a notch. You can't have a notch. There's no utility to it. Where on the iPhone, for example, it gives you extra screen. If there wasn't a notch there, there wouldn't be no notch. There would just be a forehead. And you would just lose those extra pixels where right now they're shoving things like the battery indicator. And it's similar to the approach they've taken with the MacBook. Because you're not holding the MacBook in your hands, they can make those bezels really tiny. You don't need to hold on to the screen. And because of that, they can remove as much of those bezels as possible. Now they need to leave some because they put a much bigger camera in there now, a 1080p camera. So they are doing exactly the same thing they do with the iPhone. And that is just deleting the forehead. They're not adding a notch they're deleting the forehead as much as possible and then shoving the menu bar up there so that everything below the notch is completely usable screen. And the alternative would be a full on forehead um, with the menu bar so you'd lose just that little bit more of screen. And even though I don't find it attractive, understatement at all, I would always take, I will always take as much screen as you can give me. Christmas clatter, will there ever be a Mac mini version? I think there'll be an M1 Pro and an M1 Max. Mac Mini, but I think Apple was really focused on getting this machine out, just like they were the M1 iMac uh, last spring, and they have limited bandwidth in that Mac department, so they wanna really get these right and focus on one of these machines at a time. So I figured next we'll get the Mac Mini uh, and maybe the M1 Pro, M1 Max, M1 Extreme, whatever, they call the even higher-end chipset, either together or staged out next year, leading up to and including the Mac Pro by the end of next year, like the the two-year transition that Tim Cook promised us. Eddie M. Cohen, does more RAM really make a difference with unified memory? And yes, absolutely. I think there's still a lot of misconceptions about what unified memory really means. What it is, is just one big pool of memory that's accessible to every part of the SOC, of the system on a chip. That includes the GPU, the CPU, the neural engines, the image signal processor, the ISP. And it means they don't have to copy data back and forth. So it's way more efficient, but it also means like on a classical computer with a board, you have the CPU and then the RAM that feeds the CPU. And then you have a GPU with its own VRAM. And especially in a laptop, the VRAM available to the GPU, I don't think has ever exceeded uh, 16 gigabytes. And now with these machines, you have 16 gigabytes that can go to the CPU or the GPU. I mean, not fully, there is some overhead, there is some sharing involved, but you have a larger pool of memory. And then when you get to 32 gigabytes, 64 gigabytes, being able to feed that GPU, that is just unheard of on a laptop. Also unified memory isn't magic. Like eight gigabytes of unified memory is not equal to 16 gigabytes of traditional memory. All it means is that because of things like memory compression and the ultra fast SSD for swaps, it's really all that it can be. You get the most out of it. But if you have memory pressure, like if you're using a lot of really memory hungry, memory intensive applications, if you know what memory pressure is basically, and if you're hitting it, The only way to solve that is more memory. Like the unified memory doesn't help you there. You need more memory. And if you're doing ultra, ultra high-end work, stuff that you would previously do on a mid-range Mac Pro, you're gonna want as much, you're still gonna want as much RAM as you possibly can to be able to do those things in a mobile, you know, things you could never do before in a MacBook Pro, a mobile computer. Okay, Twitter time. Steven Soretti, huge fan of your work. Which one did you order? I went for the max book, like just maxed out 16 inch, everything I could put in it because I'm in that position of time being way more important to me than the money of this machine. I mean, I don't spend money on anything else, like like literally nothing else. I spend it on gear because that's that's how I earn my living. And th- doing these videos, being able to do them faster, better quality with less frustration, it really does pay for itself. Dr. Ian Cutress, also a big fan of your work at Anantech. Why are there 80 SKUs, 160 if you count for two colors? Is not that a logistical nightmare? And my guess is like they've gotten so good at managing SKU complexity on the iPhone, like all the colors, all the models, all the configurations that on the relatively much smaller MacBook Pro, they, they can just handle that. Uh, that's like a breeze compared to handling iPhone complexity. Alex Miller, truly curious what the M1 Max means for potential AAA gaming. On iOS, it's such a big platform that they enjoy a huge amount of support from developers. And that's just never been true on the Mac. So the ability to run iOS games means you're, you're gonna be able to run as much as developers allow it, they still get to choose you know, whether it's supported or not. But to any developer that supports running their iOS games on the Mac, that should be terrific but I think they're still gonna have to, the developers, the studios, are still gonna have to decide to support and launch those games on the Mac. And that's more of a developer relations problem and less of a hardware problem and has always been thus. Lou Piper, why no center stage? Is the sensor on the camera not big enough? And what center stage is on the new iPads, the latest generation of iPads, is basically an ultra wide camera that Apple then crops down to just a regular wide camera but pans and scans and zooms in and out so that if you're talking, it's really focused, framed on you. But if you move around or somebody else comes in the frame, it'll expand, it'll be able to capture everybody in the frame and then move around with them, zoom back into you if they leave. And this just does not seem like that kind of camera. This is not one of those ultra wide cameras. Apple really focused on, I think, the single person perspective, just getting a really, really good webcam in here for all the Zoom calls, all the FaceTime calls, that we're making. And maybe in the future we'll see an ultra wide, but that seems to be just a complete product differentiation for them at this point. Nitesh, 1 billion colors equals 10 bit panel. And yeah, it's still an eight bit panel on the MacBook Pro in terms of hardware. And Apple is still doing things like temporal and spatial dithering to simulate more colors, but they've gotten so, so good at it that I think for most people, it's gonna be indistinguishable from what you would see on a 10 bit panel. And through, I don't want to call it trickery because it's not trickery, but through display technology, they're probably exceeding what you would get just on a raw, unoptimized uh, 10-bit panel anyway. It's less about hardware now and it's more about the sum total, the complete package. I would love to see an actual 10-bit panel. I would love to be able to compare between this kind of 8-bit panel that's capable of uh, simulating 1 billion colors and what an actual 10-bit panel would provide. But based on you know what we're seeing on the iPad Pro now, uh, it, it looks amazing. But you know, that's what I thought about my cookware until I tried Maiden. Yes, I cook, I love it. It's like alchemy and Maiden has worked with renowned chefs and artisans to produce some of the world's best pots and pans. And they've just seriously escalated my game, especially since I've been cooking at home just way, way more than I would have ever expected over the last couple of years. And I have so much confidence in Maiden because they're used in many of the best restaurants in the world because they distribute heat evenly. They work great from stove to oven. They're perfectly balanced as all things should be. And they're just beyond super strong and durable. They deliver it all with premium kitchen tools available directly to you without the markup and with a lifetime guarantee. And right now, because you're watching this video, Maiden is offering 15% off your first order, the best discount available anywhere online for Maiden products. Just go to maidencookware.com slash Renee and use promo code Renee for 15% off your first order. That's maidencookware.com slash Renee, promo code Renee. Clicking on that link on screen just really helps out the channel. And so does hitting out the playlist above for more, just much more on M1 Pro, M1 Max, and the new MacBook Pros. Hit up that playlist and I'll see you in the next video.